the theme of this year's forum is accelerating the participation of women in the digital economy. It is quite evident that we are firmly in the midst of a technological revolution that has fundamentally altered the way we live, the way we work, and the way we interact with each other. In its scale, scope, and complexity, the transformation is like, it's unlike anything humankind has ever seen before. The first industrial revolution used water and steam power to mechanize production. The second used electric power to create mass production. And the third used electric, electronics and information technology to automate production. Now, the fourth industrial revolution is building on the third through a fusion of technologies that are blurring the lines between the physical, digital, and biological spheres. When you layer on top of that, the disruption that 2020 has so far been characterized by, you realize that the role of technology in our lives has been further cemented. And it's highlighted the economic benefits of digital innovation. A case in point is this event, with hundreds of us gathered together from different locations across the world. And this certainly would not have been possible without leveraging technology. And there are numerous examples of technology providing innovative solutions to problems in education, transportation, communication, and health, with companies such as Uber, Ulesson, Zoom, Google, and many more leading the charge. As we survey the technology landscape globally, and especially in Nigeria, the lack of diversity cannot be overlooked. A pertinent question for us is, how do we create a consciously gender diverse digital economy? Because we know that diversity delivers positive and sustainable returns. It enhances innovation, creates engagement, and contributes to economic growth. And it is therefore in this context that today's panel will discuss the topic at hand. It is no accident that our moderator for today is Dr. Omobala Johnson. Dr. Johnson is the founding chairperson and trustee, Women in Management, Business and Public Service, and is senior partner of TLCom Capital, a venture capital firm with focus on deal flow generation, investment and value creation in technology companies in sub-Saharan Africa. Prior to joining TLCom Capital, Dr. Johnson was Minister of Communication Technology in Nigeria from 2011 to 2015, focusing on the launch and, and execution of the National Broadband Plan and the support of the Nigerian technology industry, including pioneering involvement of the government in a local VC fund and a network of startup incubators. Before serving the Nigerian government, Dr. Johnson had over 25 years consulting experience with Accenture, including five years as a country managing director, working with companies in a variety of industries, transforming them into more competitive and dynamic organizations. She served on the board of a number of leading Nigerian and multinational corporations. She also serves on the board of the World Wide Web Foundation. She has a bachelor's in electrical and electronic engineering 
from the University of Manchester, a master's in digital electronics from King's College London, and a doctorate in business administration from the School of Management of Cranfield University. Dr. Johnson is also the recipient of the Distinguished Alumni Award from Cranfield University and the Lagos Business School. Thank you all once again for joining us this morning. And thank you to the team who have worked very hard behind the scenes to pull this event together. Thank especially to our sponsors, the Africa Finance Corporation, MTN, Business Day, and Merciport for your generosity and support towards today's CEO Policymaker Interactive Series. And now, I leave you in very capable hands. Good morning. Dr. Johnson, over to you. Good morning. Okay. Good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and Ngova. Uh, thank you very much for the introduction. Um, I apologize. It looks as though my background is a little bit. I hope you can see me because I can't see myself very well. But I hope you can hear me. That's what's most uh, most important. And let me just add my own welcome again to uh, this uh, this year's CEO policymaker. Uh, series. And Gob has given an excellent introduction as to why we have to uh, do it this way. But I think that regardless of how we're doing it, this is the way the world is going now. And regardless of how we're doing it, we hope that we'll still get the same results. The thing about it is that this digital economy that we're talking about has been evolving over you know, many, many years now. I, um, this is something that I've witnessed over the last, I would say, five to 10 years. But really, what has happened with COVID-19 is really that it has accelerated our journey into this digital world. Um, and really what is concerned us now in terms of you know, communication technology, health technology, education technology, everything is changing. And all of these things have really helped us to adapt and to be productive, be entertained and to be educated in this new world that we're seeing. But our concern really is around how women will fare in this new normal. And given the statistics that we have around the involvement and the participation of women in technology, it would appear that women will fare quite poorly in this new world that we are that we're going into. Maybe as consumers of technology, we will fare okay. But in terms of being producers, innovators, entrepreneurs, professionals, the participation that we have is way too low. And so we're at a tipping point where the gender divide that we're working so hard in WIMBIS and other organizations to um, to close, could be actually split wide open because of the new world that we're going into now. Today, I'm joined by a very diverse panel. They're diverse in gender, they're diverse in experience, they're diverse in age. And I'm very excited to introduce our three panelists for today. We have um, Linda Sentuwafo, who is the Chief Enterprise Business Officer at MTN Nigeria. I always joke with Linda that she's the most important person in MTN given that she runs, um, she runs enterprise business, which is probably one of the fastest growing uh, aspects of the, of the organization right now. Linda has a bachelor's degree in computer science and engineering. She is a woman in tech, and she has scaled the ladder at MTN very successfully. She has been recipient of the President's Special Achievement Award, and she's a woman and the Woman Global Leader um, Award. 
So Linda is responsible for developing and, and executing the enterprise business growth strategy of, um, of uh, M10 Enterprise Group, delivering innovative solutions that offer the best value to businesses. We also have with us today, Sim Shagaya. Sim is a renowned uh, Nigerian entrepreneur. You remember Conga, uh, and of course you may not remember, but uh, uh, we also, also deal day. Conga uh, became one of the biggest e-commerce businesses in, in West Africa. Um, Sim is a graduate of Dartmouth College and also holds an MBA from, uh, from Harvard. Sim's latest uh, entrepreneurship endeavor is ULESSON. And ULESSON's mission is to deliver high quality, affordable and accessible education for all. Our third panelist is Adiola Shasnyan. Adiola is um, a project manager with Google. Uh, she's got a degree in engineering as well, electrical engineering with a master's in renewable energy, so another woman in tech. And she also is one of the co-founders of Agrotech Girls, which is an NGO that is basically working to um, bring more women and girls into the, into the world, of, uh, world of tech and the world of STEM. So before, I want to ask, uh, I'm going to start with Linda. What I want to ask you is to give us a perspective before we delve into women, and the, and, the, and the role that they play or could play in, uh, in this new world that we're seeing. I want to start with Linda and ask you, you know, you have hundreds of enterprise uh, businesses as customers. What trends are you seeing? What do you think are the transit trends? What do you think are, you know, the trends that are here to stay? And, you know, what have companies been doing to build uh, that resilience in this new world that we're, that we're going to? And then we'll talk about the role of women what are you seeing in this new uh, tech world that we're accelerating into? Um, thank you um, very much, Dr. Johnson. Uh, I really want to thank Queen Bees for me on this program. I hope everybody can hear me. Um, now to answer your questions regarding um, the trends we have been seeing during the course of this pandemic. I, I think that it's um, very important that we first look at it from um, a consumer perspective. Um, you know, recently we have seen a very clear bias um, towards frugality for consumers. And consumers are focused on essentials. They are just focused on buying those things that are essentials to them. And the essentials cover both products and services. Um, you know, McKinsey recently conducted a study on consumer sensitivity, and they found out that about 60 to 70% of Nigerians will um, either cut back um, on their spend or absolutely delay their spending broadly. Um, but these same consumers have also increased their intent to buy um, things that are important to them. That's things like groceries, household supplies, and non-food um, child products. Um, secondly, we have also seen a very strong trend towards digital channels. Um, so consumers, consumers are willing to transact um, and engage with businesses um, using digital channels. So from a mobile operator perspective, um, we've seen data volumes grow upwards of 30 to 50% globally. Um, we have also seen consumers um, continue to use uh, digital and mobile banking channels. And, you know, the usage of these channels um, has have grown over 40% during this period. Um, at this period also, we've seen homeschooling. So many of us are now used to um, tutoring our, our, our children. Um, parents who are never, uh, who are not computer literate before, um, have found themselves to become either fully or semi-computer literate, um, you know, guiding and supporting their children through it all. Um, in terms of healthcare areas, we have also seen people um, pay higher attention to their to healthcare and also to their wellness. 
um, we see many people using online fitness programs and apps to stay healthy and keep moving. And what this means is that um, Nigerians have now more appetite for remote health, um, especially as we know that a reasonable number of Nigerians have substantial level of concern um, for public health. Now, in terms of employees working for home, we've seen a substantial number of people, employees, um, working from home. And, you know, mostly during the lockdown and even after the long lockdown, some companies um, have continued to keep their, 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 their staff at home, you know, because they've been able to, um, to retool their systems and their processes and they were able to support that. So um, everything that I have spoken about means um, that there is related increase in time spent online, um, which actually is the reason that we have seen the increase in data volumes, um, you know, that, you know, operators and ISPs um, alike have witnessed. Now, from a business perspective, um, we have seen um, that there is um, a, a clear desire by investors to bet on digitization and digitalization of traditional business models. And they are also interested um, in investing in innovation in the wide spaces. Um, so we have seen a continuous um, funding for startups, especially those that are focused on disruptive technologies in specific areas, um, areas like payment, API development, um, wealth management um, and others. So um, to, now to respond to the second part of your question, which is um, which of those, these trends that I see remaining. Um, in my honest opinion, I actually do see nearly all of them remaining. Um, if I go back to the consumer sentiment report again, um, you know, McKinsey found out that 60% of Nigerians will actually reduce visit to physical um, channels and outlets. I mean, they've tested um, the opportunity that was provided by COVID to use digital channels. And you know, they desire, uh, their desire for e-commerce and online learning ha have grown by about um, um, 60%. We've also seen that, uh, we also do know that more Nigerians are now willing um, to use mobile banking channels. And they are also willing to explore um, digital channels for other types of engagement with businesses. So, I mean, I think the challenge is on all of us business owners and managers to um, ensure that we retool our business models, our business processes, our systems, and also our operation to support um, this new world. Now, um, I think the last part of your question speaks to how businesses are responding and how they are building um, resilience. I think that uh, in my view, businesses' responses um, have been, can be, I can categorize them um, in three phases. The first phase is that um, businesses had to respond. Um, the impact of you know, COVID-19 is unprecedented. Businesses haven't witnessed anything like that before. Um, so the, the first thing that businesses had to do um, was to respond or, you know, in, if, you, if you may, react. Um, in this phase, what they did first was to protect their employees. Um, you know, first of all, um, uh, empl uh, protect their employees and also to find ways to protect their customers and all other stakeholders. stakeholders. In some um, verticals and some sectors, some businesses had to shut down um, their operations where it was absolutely necessary. And they had to reassess their incident uh, management programs. Um, you know, also in this phase, businesses had to cut down on spending across board. Um, they had to also close outflows just to make sure that um, they maintain um, liquidity and their cash position um, is still um, good. Um, the second thing that businesses had to do um, was to return, uh, or if you may, restart. Um, businesses had to redeploy um, workforce, um, figuring um, who is essential and who is required where and when. 
um, you know, businesses had to spend time reviewing their customer journeys and also their value delivery system with a view to um, and, uh, determining what worked, you know, during the first phase and what didn't work. And also implementing um, any short-term low-hanging digital customer journeys. Um, I, I think this is also the stage where businesses started to develop products that are related um, to, the, to the crisis. So um, the third phase for me uh, would be where businesses had to start to reimagine what this new world actually means for their business. Um, here they would have to, or businesses had started to um, position themselves and ask themselves the very critical questions. How do I position myself for actual growth um, despite and after um, COVID-19? And this is where um, businesses have started to invest in technologies that effectively reduces their long-term cost of operation. Um, and they invest in solutions that focus on guaranteeing long-term efficiencies. So um, businesses deliver um, new products, new solutions, engage in new partnerships that will make sure that prof profitability and sustainability um, um, are guaranteed. So in a nutshell, um, this is what we have witnessed um, so far. Excellent. Thank, thank you so much, Linda. I mean, you've, you've said a lot, and I think that, you know, if anybody's listening and is running a business, I hope you've been listening very carefully. And for me, the, the, one of the most important things you said was that there's more um, funding available for startups. And, you know, I, what I do now is I invest in, in tech startups. And, you know, one of the biggest challenges we have, again, taking it back to the, the, the women participating, one of the biggest challenges we have is finding uh, female entrepreneurs to, to fund. This is not, you know, tech startups is not an area where we find women. And, you know, from what you're saying, there's going to be tremendous opportunities that come because of people moving on to this online world. 60% of Nigerians are more comfortable in an online world, uh, online world, and that is a tremendous, uh, you know, market opportunity. And so, again, you, for me, you've just um, re-emphasized, revalidated, or just given the current call for more women to be um, participating in this digital economy that is, that is really upon us now. Thanks very much, Linda. I'm going to turn to Sim now. So Sim, you are a, you know, you're a tech entrepreneur. Like I said in the introduction, you're a zero tech entrepreneur. Um, innovation is your reason for being. You have, you know, birthed, uh, this is your third tech company now very successfully. Um, you know, what kind of future do you see for, um, for Nigeria? How prepared are we as a country to take on, you know, these tremendous opportunities that Linda has, has, has spoken about? What do we need to do to build the resilience and to, and to adapt um, as individuals, as institutions, and as businesses, from your perspective, as a, as a tech entrepreneur who's actually steeped in this world of tech that we're, that we're in right now? Well, um, th uh, firstly, thanks, um, um, Omobola, for the opportunity to be on the panel with, with all these um, great co-panelists, and thanks, uh, Wimbis, for the invitation. Um, so, you know, I've been at this um, tech entrepreneurship um, in, this, in this game, if you like, for about, uh, about 15 years now. And um, as things, as those years have progressed, I have seen the, the readiness of the country, the country improve dramatically. I have to say I'm, I'm quite um, optimistic as to where we are right now. Um, so there are several sort of components that you need um, to, um, to um, spur the creation of a digital economy. And Nigeria has many of those. Some were, were lacking and others I think we have in abundance. So the first thing we have, of course, is this incredibly large population. And um, granted, a large part of that population still remains very poor, and things have to be done to reduce poverty. And this is a, is a, is a very important component of digital economies. And things can be done to reduce poverty very, very, very quickly. 
So that's one very big piece is that we have this um, market as it currently exists and potentially an even larger market. Um, um, the other thing that we have um, as a country, I think, is a tendency towards consumerism and consumerism that is also willing to sort of grab onto the new and try new things. Um, I think this is a feature that, you know, I've spoken to a number of investors um, in, in, on the continent and the US. It's a feature that we share with societies that might surprise you, like Japan and, and South Korea, um, and a, a willingness to sort of try digital tools. So that's a very, very important one. Um, I think the other thing that we have that's going for us is that the installed base of the old ways of doing things are not as readily there. Um, so take, take, um, um, take Linda's industry, for example. Um, the fact that the installed base of fixed lines, I think it's trite, we talk about this at this point. The, the installed base of fixed line was one of the conditions that led to sort of the incredible success uh, that the MNOs and MTN, for instance, enjoyed. Um, the same thing applies to you lesson um, now, is that we've not um, made um, a lot of uh, investments. We don't have a lot of cumulative investments in, in uh, fixed line telecoms or brick and mortar retail. And um, in our case, as you lesson, in the offline tutoring centers. These offline tutoring centers, for example, in China and in India and in parts of Asia and the United States, represent um, massive, um, massive businesses, multi-billion dollar businesses. So um, in our case, we just don't have that. Um, so the fact that you don't have this installed base of industry allows you to leapfrog. Again, it's tried. People talk about this, but it's a very real phenomenon um, that Nigeria is right now leapfrogging many sort of old ways of doing things. We've seen that happen in retail. Um, we're seeing that happen right now um, in ULES, and there are a few sort of offline centers in Oshodi, in parts of Lagos, um, that offer offline tutoring centers, but we don't see deep penetration of offline tutoring chains. You see this across the board in supply chains um, that help businesses run and manage relationships with their suppliers and customers in the way human resources is run. Uh, so there is an opportunity even for enterprises to make investments in new ways of doing things. Um, so in that sense, I think that we are, we are, you know, we are very, we're very much ready. The big component that was missing, um, up until now, um, was, um, the availability, well, there are two components that, that have historically been missing. One is now being fixed, um, was the availability of risk capital, especially early stage capital that could invest in entrepreneurs and risk takers and business builders. Um, we're now starting to see that form. I remember when I was building Conga or Deal Day, and there were a few businesses before that that you may not even be aware of. Um, there really was no seed funding. There was no Series A funding, sort of the early stage funding that would risk capital and tell an entrepreneur on the basis of your vision, here is capital, go and do. And you know what? Failure is acceptable. Um, success, of course, is what we desire. But th this is capital that anticipates failure. This is a very, very important component of what we've done. And I'm really proud to see that, you know, all of the waters are rising in Nigeria, Kenya, South Africa, but Nigeria has really surged forward to take pole position in terms of early stage funding um, that, has, um, that, that can allow for these sorts of environments to, to surge forward. 
And I think that we're seeing a resilience in that funding, even in the face of um, the pandemic that we're facing right now. And, and I have to mention, um, it's in no small part thanks to, to folks like you on mobile. I think, you know, there are a lot of people, but I think you've really done your part in, in making this available. Um, we're also starting to see a part of that funding, um, um, entrepreneurs that have met with some success through um, selling their businesses or through secondary rounds, um, starting to make angel investing, um, starting to do angel investing. Um, that is also a very, very important part of this. Um, so I'm optimistic from that point of view. The part of it that remains sort of stubborn that we really have to do a good job fixing is the quality of human capital. And this feeds into what we are doing also as you listen. Um, we're not seeing the um, um, availability of the engineers and the, the technical expertise also. I mean, technology, te technical expertise, um, when you talk about it in the context of sort of technology, but also technical expertise in, te in terms of of people that are very experienced, um, folks that are experienced in human resources, people that are experienced in operations and supply chain. You know, as an entrepreneur, when I'm building a business, the truth is I want to innovate. I want to innovate around the business model. How do I bring quality teachers to the four corners of Nigeria? But there are certain segments of my operations where, um, you know, in any other society, I could just throw a stone and find somebody that is incredibly good at those things. There may be innovation in human resources. There may be innovation in sales automation and all these different facets of a business. But the truth is that um, it makes it easier when you can find people that have years of experience in these verticals. Now we're building it to be able to find a great um, head of sales or a great head of product or a great head of technology is easier for me in my personal experience than 10 years ago, but it's still not where we need to be. So this is the stuff that's still holding us back, what I would sort of globally put under the umbrella of human capital. And we need to get much better, much, quick, um, much quicker um, in, in, in um, training up engineers, um, in training up product managers and human resource experts and supply chain experts, and salespeople, and all of these various skills that also sort of um, support this digital economy. Um, so I would say, you know, we're very ready in many contexts, and then there's a lot more work to do in, in one. Thank you so much, Sim. You know, I think your last comments are really the perfect segue into um, what I'd like, I'd like to speak about. You know, Linda's spoken about the fact that there are huge opportunities and people are getting more, um, more, uh, more used to and, and more comfortable with being online. You have said that you know, the market is there, it's huge. The capital is getting there to fund businesses. But beyond you know, entrepreneurship in the tech world, there are also the jobs. And you know, you've, you've given a very good um, uh, summary of the, of the fact that we don't have enough people for those jobs that are coming up. I was in a meeting yesterday where we were talking about 50% of the jobs by 2030, and that's not that far away. 50% of jobs are going to be in the STEM-related areas. Science, technology, engineering, and math. 50% of jobs. So, and given what we see about the participation of women in technology, in, in engineering, in mathematics, it means that we're going to be even more excluded than we were before because we won't have the skills, because we're not entering these fields. And so I want to bring Adiola in. Um, Adiola, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is uh, a co-founder of a company called Afrotech Girls, and they have a passion to bring more girls 
uh, starting early, uh, you know, catching them young to bring more girls into the world of STEM. So, Adela, I'd like to really talk about, you know, why did you, um, you know, tell us the story of the uh, Tech Girls, why you started, what you do, uh, your successes, the challenges that you've had, and the frustrations, and, you know, how can, what would you like to see from government policymakers to really support you in what, in what you're doing and scaling your, your initiative? Thank you, Dr. Johnson. Um, so for me, I studied engineering and in my class, I was like maybe one of the 10 girls out of the 100 students in the class. So from the get-go, you'd see like in the classrooms that there are not enough girls in STEM. But while I was doing my master's in, at the University of Manchester, I volunteered um, with a nonprofit where we would get students, mostly female students from secondary schools come in and we teach them robotics. But as I was moving back home post um, my, my master's degree, I really couldn't think of any organization in Lagos or in Nigeria that was doing something similar. So I then spoke to two of my friends, um, Marinka and Yvonne, who were both doing, we were all doing our NYSE then. And we all had studied engineering and we were all like passionate to give back to the community to kind of see what we can do, you know, within our spare times to foster this um, desire to study STEM. So we initially started just visiting schools as coppers, telling them, okay, these are the opportunities that you have in STEM. If you go ahead to study math, this is so and so you can become in the future. But we didn't stop there. So we continued engaging them with STEM science and math quiz competitions where they could sharpen their skills with the subjects that they're already studying. And then during the summer, we would host um, technology boot camps where they would learn introductions to coding, to robotics, to renewable energy, so that from that early stage, from when they're in secondary school, they're able to build up these skills. Another thing that was very important in when we're building was to ensure that we had a mentorship program, because it's not enough to just teach them the skills. They need to be able to identify with people who have um, faced similar challenges or have similar backgrounds as they have studying science um, in secondary and in university. So we had done that, you know, paired them up with women that were working. And then another thing that's very important is even to take them into this sector. So they would have exhibitions where they will go in and see women actually working on site in data centers and seeing that okay women like themselves are working but i'd say um a lot of major major challenges that we face is one is um is funding for these programs because some, sometimes not a lot of company companies are keen on maybe women in tech. There are few, there are few, but it's not a lot that are very keen on supporting women in tech. So we need to actually focus on people who share the similar vision. Uh, another thing that we have is access to these girls in school. So um, now because of COVID, we're not able to go into these schools. So we're re restricted to um, sharing our resources online. And not a lot of these kids have access to learning online or like interacting with people online. So that's another challenge. And I think the last one that actually kind of, it, it really hits home is, or well, I say it's, 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 it's really sad is there's some parents who don't even believe that women should study STEM degrees because they already feel like, oh, their child, there are no opportunities for, for their female children to develop in this area. So I think it's very important that one, the private sector does a good job to showcase women within their system that are thriving in the tech sector. Um, luckily for me, in my organization, I'm able to see my manager or other women who have gone well and they've risen up in ranks in, in, 
in um, tech in the tech capacity, but a lot more needs to be done. So there's that. Um, the 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 government also needs to provide opportunities where students can learn these skills or work with private institutions to develop capacity building. Because beyond just like basic degrees, there's there's a lot more that needs to be done to prepare them for the jobs of the future. So um, provide opportunities for them to scale up and learn these skills. And I would say um, someone also earlier mentioned opportunities for funding for female startups as well. Um, once they see that there's the opportunity for them to set up their businesses, it would encourage more women to go into businesses and start um, their tech businesses um, in this region, I believe. Thanks very much, Diana. You know, you, you mentioned something, and it, it really goes to the heart of what we're talking about. You know, you said you were one in ten, uh, you know, one of ten girls in the class of 100 when you were in, in, um, in engineering school. So I studied engineering, coincidentally, at the University of Manchester, and I was also one of ten girls in a class of 100, and this was probably 30, 30 years ago. So nothing much has changed uh, globally, and I suspect that it's even worse in, uh, in, in Nigeria. And you know, you've also mentioned that people aren't even aware of the opportunities that are, that are going to be prevalent in the world of STEM. If you're looking for a job, you know, really you should be steeped in that, in that world of STEM. And you've also talked about the fact that you know, the government needs to provide um, um, opportunities for girls to study STEM. They need to, there needs to be a greater awareness of uh, the opportunities in STEM and also a greater awareness that you know, studying these science subjects is actually the way, the way to go. Tim, I want to come to you, and that's because of what you're doing in uh, in ULesson. And again, full, full disclosure, you know, TLCom is uh, one of the investors in ULesson because again, we see that this is you know, education is is education technology is really the way that we should be going, uh, as as Adiola has also said. But Tim, you know, you are now uh, you know in this uh, world of education. Adiola talked about skills, and 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 you talked about skills and capacity building and talent. Adiola talked about getting more girls into this area. I've watched a number of the videos that you have in your library, and there you have some very smart young girls who are teaching physics, chemistry, maths. To what extent do you think that uh, you know, there's some role modeling that this will um, help to do as, a, as more girls see girls or women teaching uh, technology? And really, you know, how do you think we can encourage female participation in the world of tech entrepreneurship, and even those jobs that you, you know, those areas that you say that we need more people in our mobile meeting. How, how do you think we can, we can do this? Oh, yeah, so thanks, thanks for that, Amabola. So, um, so we have, um, in your lesson, we have these tutors that we found. They, they generally are um, academic. Um, they performed excellently academically. These are people in sort of the top um, fifth percentile um, graduating from their universities um, and have a knack for explaining incredibly concept, um, complex concepts in simple ways. Now, it was very difficult, I must say, um, to find um, certain um, segments of our, our population to fill those roles. And women were, were quite difficult to find, I'm really sad to say. Um, we had to go really, really far. If you, if, you know, if you follow me on social media and you follow you lesson on social media, you could probably look back to sort of mid, next, mid last year where we were making a conscious effort to tweet and tweet and say we're looking for more women to fill these roles. Um, part of it um, was, um, if you like, altruistic because we think it's very important to our mission of educating um, um, Africa. Um, but also, I think it was also a very smart commercial thing. We ended up finding these women, but it was very, very difficult. Um, part of it is also because, you know, half of our customers are women. 
And so it is a commercial thing. We have to, um, we have to address that segment. We want the customers to, the learners to see themselves reflected on the screen when they learn. And we have to really go above and beyond. We have policy in place, for instance, in New Lesson that gives full sort of um, six months maternity leave, fully paid. Um, we have, we've had to do all kinds of things and go above and beyond. Even then, we've not been able to find women from certain ethnic groups or geographic parts of our country. Um, so that has also been a challenge. Um, but that said, I mean, I think we're really proud of the fact that women are well re represented, not only in the tutoring um, base of ULESSON, but also in the executive leadership of our five VPs, for instance, um, um, who report to me as the CEO, three are women and two are men. So it's something that we're really, really proud of. Now, um, you know, to the second part of your question, um, we think that it's very, very important for inspiring. I mean, if you look at sort of the classic problems that women face, um, you know, it's domestic responsibilities and obligations. The, the challenges women face are structural. They're, they're kind of systemic. You can't really, many times you can't point to one criminal or one, you know, um, um, one, one sort of uh, factor and say, this is what's wrong. It's systemic and it's pervasive. And, but the big ones you kind of find are, you know, domestic, domestic responsibilities and obligations. And if you look at that, I mean, on the one hand, um, digital technology and the way we're going will free women up to be able to participate in the digital economy because on some level, you can, st you can still fulfill those domestic responsibilities while, um, while, uh, while being part of the digital economy. This doesn't take away from the fact that there's a separate sort of, if you like, battle to be fought in getting um, men, the other gender, to participate more in domestic responsibilities. But the fact is that digital technologies allow for that participation much more. It also, also doesn't take away from the fact that, for instance, as we've operated in this COVID era, I've noticed that so the salespeople, if you look at, so ULESSON has a sales operation and we call the families and we tell the families of the benefit of our product and all, you know, the power of digital and the fact that a kid can learn as effectively or even more using digital technologies. So you've got this team of salespeople and I've noted that the salespeople who are more likely to be interrupted during the normal course of their work tend to be married women. They simply can't find the space all the time within the home environment to even engage. So that even still remains a challenge. But even then, I will tell you that the handful of women, this classic 80-20 rule, sorry, the handful of people that are responsible for 80, the 20% that are responsible for the 80% of ULS in sales are uniformly, strictly women. It's really interesting. So they face greater challenges structurally within the home, but at the same time, they still perform much, much more. So. You know, that's one challenge. I think the other structural challenge um, that, that, um, that uh, women face is just um, um, the, uh, it, the lack of, um, of access to education. Um, so that's something that we, of course, are really proud of the fact that this is what we're doing. Whatever those sort of societal impediments are that would prevent a girl child from getting to school or somebody learning or somebody being inspired to STEM, um, as Adiola was just saying, we hope we're playing a role in breaking some of that down. In fact, we, we know we are. There's a lot of research that has been done on what Adiola is speaking to, or even your own experience 30 years ago, and you're right, things haven't changed. When women do make it into engineering school, they perform on par with men. It's been researched that they perform on par with men. They graduate at the same rate as men. 
But the same research will show you that women um, suffer from greater self-doubt while going through engineering school. And I think part of it is driven by this thing you mentioned, Mobalao. You know, there are no role models to look to. You almost feel like you shouldn't be doing this. So you question yourself much, much more. And so we hope that, you know, we're playing a role in that um, and making um, this very important segment of our population believe that they can um, contribute or partake in this digital economy. So I think you, you read my you read my notes because every time the last thing you say is always the next thing I'm going to ask this whole notion of, uh, of, of of role models. But you know, before I go to Linda and, and talk about role models, you know, one thing that you said, uh, which I want to just again reemphasize, was I was speaking to the MD of an oil and gas exploration company a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me that you know the female engineers that I have in my business actually perform a lot better than the male engineers, and that was that's very interesting. Because I guess when we're in a field where it's male-dominated, you feel as if you, you work twice as hard to, to almost prove yourself. And so that's, what, that's what's happened. But having said that, there's still, still not enough. You know, in WIPIS, we're, we're very, um, we, we speak a lot and we place a lot of emphasis on role modeling, on, on men as a means of, first of all, it was getting women into business. But given what, uh, and, and business and, and politics and public service, but given that the topic we're talking about now is about women in technology, I want to speak a little bit about role, you know, just talk a little bit about role modeling. You know, Linda, you are a tremendous role model. If you're, if you're talking about women in tech, you're a fantastic role model. As Adiola is, you know, you're the senior role model, Adiola is the junior role model because she's also a woman in tech and, and doing very well in, in giving back. You are probably, I know you don't like when you say this, Linda, but I think you're probably one of the most senior female engineers in business in Africa. Because when we look at the size of the company that you work for, the size of the business that you're that you are um, that you're heading, you know, you're probably one of the most senior female engineers. And so you are, you know, whether you like it or not, you are a fantastic role model. And so what I would like to ask you is, you know, how did you stick at it? You're a woman in engineering. It must have been male dominated from beginning till even till, till even now. You know, what were the things that MTN did in particular to keep you uh, in 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 in, in, uh, in the company? Because Sim has mentioned. Many, many challenges that women have been staying in, in, in jobs and not been distracted. And we know them very well because this is what we've been talking about for the last 15, 15 20 years. I know. Um, that's one. That's the first question. How did What were the things they did? Were there any policies, any particular program that Sim has mentioned? And then I would like you to really speak to what Adiola and her, and her co founders are doing. What do you think of that? And are there other ways in which we can actually get more women into, into technology, either in tech jobs or as, as tech entrepreneurs? Um, thank you once again, Dr. Um, Dr. Johnson. Um, Sim did speak to uh, mentors uh, for women in tech, um, especially. And it might interest you, Dr. Johnson, to know that um, I, I never said this to you, but you were one of my role models early on in my career. And I, I do remember that at some point, um, I had asked my organization to engage you um, as a formal mentor to me. Of course, there's a place that mentors, um, uh, mentors uh, play. There's a part that they play. I think now to answer your question, what made me stick at it? Um, in answering this question, sometimes I, I say things that, that sound a bit strange. Um, but in my early years as a professional, honestly, I never brought gender in focus um, as it relates to my professional um, um, deliverables. Um, like, just like Adiola, I was one of the very few girls um, in engineering school. 
So I, I had this impression that, um, that I wrote the same qualifying exam, exams as, as all the men folk in engineering. And therefore, I, I believe that I, I can deliver as much value as they did and, and maybe even more. So um, I was also very much aware of the prejudices and biases um, against women, um, especially for those of us in STEM. And you know, I never ignored, ignored those. So um, when I started my career, I did conduct a table analysis and I realized right in time that um, most, if not all of the decision makers in my field are men. Uh, and, and therefore, um, they also might be subjected to these um, prejudices and also to, to these mindsets, which of course were prevailing at that time. So I, I made a conscious decision to, to prove them wrong and, and maybe you know, to prove the society wrong also. Um, I realized quite early that you know, it's very important to validate uh, my skills and my capabilities um, to these men who are decision makers. And also, um, you know, for me to do that, I had to work you know, three times as hard as, as, as the men. I mean, you, you alluded to that, Dr. Johnson. Um, I think I also did have the burden um, to, to ensure that women in tech are no longer taken for granted. I mean, at, at the time that I was employed in MTN, I was employed as the first female um, engineers, and I was working amid like 200, 300 odd men who are um, engineers. So, you know, I had this desire to shatter those biases and prejudices. And I think that that desire was what uh, made me stick to it. That's the sole reason I had to stick to it. And um, the rest they say is now history. Now, um, you asked the question around um, MTN, if MTN has more women in tech. And I'm very glad to say, uh, to answer in the affirmative. And the answer is yes, we sure do. Um, as a matter of fact, um, in our IT department, of course, which you know is uh, obviously a high-tech environment, um, it's very interesting to know that 75% um, of our general managers are women. And that by no means is, is, is no small feat. Um, all of us in MTN are blessed to work in an environment um, that provides um, a level playing field for all genders. Um, MTN is also an organization that promotes um, diversity in all areas. So people like me um, are able to find expression. Um, we are, I'm able to live my life. Um, I joined MTN as, as a single woman and you know, in MTN, I had three children, of course, and I had all the support that, 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 that were required to you know, help me navigate those very difficult um, period. Now, um, to, to specific initiatives that MTN has put in place for us to be able to achieve this feat. Um, you know, let me start with a platform that we have um, created recently, which we have named WAY, um, and this stands for Women at Yellow. Um, this is a platform um, for all women in MTN across all levels, whether you're an executive or you're an entry-level staff. Um, it's a platform that we created to network and exchange ideas on issues that are, you know, specific to us um, as regards how we balance our professional requirements and our professional responsibilities and our God-given responsibility, which is to nurture our family. Um, we also have an extended leave program you know, for nursing mothers. And recently, we have also established a crash in the office for our nursing mothers. Um, MTN is very much focused. You know, we are very much focused on creating diversity um, in MTN. And also, we have built all our processes, all our systems, um, with specific initiatives around our recruitment process to ensure that these objectives are, are achieved. Now, um, finally, speaking to what Adola is doing, honestly, I must say that I am 
very much um, excited and you know it's a very fantastic and welcome development. We do have a need to encourage and support more initiatives of this nature um, just to ensure that the discourse we all have been having over a long period of time around having more women in business, more women in STEM, and that this discourse remains relevant and also um, becomes a reality. Um, thank you. Thank you. Th thank you very much, Linda. And um, you know, uh, thank you all very much for your for your comments and your interventions. Uh, before we move on to the Q onto the Q and A, you know, I'm just going to um, just to summarise because you really have said a lot, and there's a lot for us in Wimbis to think about. And you know, as I said earlier, this is, and as Ngova also said, this is the policymaker uh, series. And what we do do is actually we, we harness, we harvest all that you've said together with what we'll get in the Q and A. We can put, we're going to put together a white paper that will go to both government, corporate, to really talk about how we can make progress on moving the needle. So we're not still talking, we're not back here in 10 years time talking about um, you know, Adiola's daughter, who might be an engineer and who's still one in 10 of, uh, in a class of engineers. But you know, but there's one thing that we've established. First of all, that women are underrepresented in the world of tech. And this is a big problem. That is because we were moving to a digital economy uh, as you said, Linda, there's an acceleration towards that economy. As Sim has said, the market for tech enablement and tech uh, in Nigeria is there. We have a huge market and we have all the ingredients to, um, to support us being a digital economy, apart from one, a critical one, which is skills and talent, and skills and talent is both men and women. But Adiola has really helped us to, um, to, to really see, you know, she's put a lot of light on the fact that yes, it's a big opportunity, but unfortunately, women will not be able to participate in this opportunity if we don't, number one, create the awareness of the job and the opportunities that are in STEM, and not only for the girls themselves, but for their parents to actually encourage their girls to go into STEM because this is where the, the world is. And in that, in, that, um, in that sense as well, role modeling is absolutely critical, and role modeling of females in tech, like yourself, Linda, Adiola, uh, myself, and many other women that are in the audience that I think are also in, uh, in, the, in the world of tech, and there's a need for corporate support. First of all, yes, of course, public sector support, but corporate support around what uh, Adiola, Adiola did mention, funding is a big problem that they have, and corporate support is what they need. So I'm going to link the two of you together, for sure, after this, uh, you know, after, after this meeting, for you to really begin to, um, begin to talk about out of MTN and into the broader, uh, broader Nigerian corporate environment and get more women into these places. Um, I think that we're supposed to take a short advert now about we have sponsors and unlike when we're sort of offline and you can see all the banners and everything, uh, we just want to do a quick video of, um, of our major sponsor for today's event before we go into the Q&A. Africa, continent of dreams. Limitless possibility, a wealth of opportunity, and a population full of potential. But how do we turn dreams into reality, possibility into impact, and potential into access to work and economic prosperity? Africa has a significant infrastructure investment gap of $170 billion a year. The convergence of energy, transportation and digital economies demand a new approach to infrastructure development globally. 
as urban growth accelerates across Africa, we believe that power, transport and logistics, natural resources, telecommunications and heavy industries are the enablers that will deliver access to markets, job creation and accelerated economic growth. So we pioneer solutions that help build bridges and roads and connectivity. We help develop natural resources in sustainable ways that create prosperity for more. But our roads and bridges connect more than just places and our financing powers more than cities and grids. It connects people to opportunities, producers to markets, and local communities to the skills they need to grow. This foundation shapes our present so we can build our new tomorrow. And what does the future hold? Africa's mandate is urgent and the narrative has to change. So we're rewriting the script. Imagine an Africa where the world's youngest population turns into the future of the workforce. Where the knowledge-based economies in Africa that power the world give birth to the fifth industrial revolution, connecting innovation to purpose and inclusivity. And that's the Africa we're building. We can't do it alone, but together, perhaps we can. Our vision is to become Africa's leading infrastructure solutions provider, Africa Finance Corporation, driving social, economic, sustainable change across Africa. Thank you once again to the AFC for, um, for being the major sponsor of this, of this webinar. Um, before we go to the q and I just, I, I don't know, as you listen to that advert, I mean, to me, it's just more glaring around where the future of Africa is. Look at where the investments are going to be. I was just power, heavy industry, communications, roads and bridges, mining. This is the future of Africa. And in every single one of those areas, it's all about technology. Engineering technology, communication technology, it's you know, uh, civil engineering, it's all about technology. And I think it, you know, there couldn't be a better advert for what we're doing now to talk about. It is so critical for us to get women into this um, into this sector. So we're going to go to the Q&A uh, now. Um, and please, uh, I don't know if there was, this was said before, but if you have any, please don't put it on the chat, put it on the Q&A um, section of, uh, of Zoom so that I can just kind of uh, scroll through them and, and we'll try and answer as many as we can in the, in the time that we have. So I have a question here from um, Jane. Uh, just hold on, sorry. Um, Okay, Bimbo has a Bimbo Nokomaya has a question for for Sim. Um, Sim, Sim Bimbo is asking um, the, the situation where the woman who is more bogged down with domestic situation at the home is the one who is more engaged with the digital intrusion in her space. Um, could this be that they are seeing the digital space as a way out of the situations which they find themselves? Uh, how can they be encouraged? I think this is speaking to the fact when you talked about women being disrupted. And still, they're still quite productive. And to the question she's asking is, how uh, more women um, to use digital? Yes, so um, it's a really interesting um, um, observation. I'm careful answering questions like this in particular because as much as you know, I make a conscious effort to try and understand the position of women, 
um, and you know, from sort of observing the women in my life, you know, mothers, sisters, friends, and um, and like somebody mentioned, we have these biases and prejudices that even my, me as a man in African culture have been exposed to, but made a deliberate effort to kind of purge myself of. Um, I can never really fully know what it is to be a woman. What I do know is that um, oftentimes um, the women have to look after the kids. They they're not calling as much. They're not um, spending the hours. And and it may be that um, what Bimbo is suggesting is actually true, is that because they view this opportunity um, as sort of a more sort of acute out than say a man. I mean, this this phenomenon has been um, has been observed in any kind of context of prejudice, whether it's racial or gender. Um, the, the benefiting segment of population generally takes things for granted much more than the the, um, the segment that is discounted. I'm not sure exactly what the reasons are. Uh, I'll be pretending if I, if, I, if I said I did bimbo, but I know consistently, I mean, to, to be completely frank with you, it had almost gotten to the point where I'd instructed human resources that we only hire women for sales roles. I mean, the, the, the difference in performance is just too stark. Um, and so um, I think there's a bit of that um, going on. Um, when somebody finds uh, uh, an opportunity, I think that shows that they are of value, that they have skills, um, and they've been deprived, most importantly, they've been deprived of that opportunity historically, they will take it more serious, I think, than others who have, they will take it more serious than others who have that opportunity available to them or they feel like it's available to them at any one time. So we are seeing this happening, this, this rise of this gig economy for instance, where folks are able to um, work independently, work independent of geography, um, work independent of a need to commute, control their time much more, um, to be able to say, I'll work for two hours and then take a break and then work again. I mean, we haven't seen it as much in Nigeria, but for instance, I know that you know in the West, a lot of Uber drivers are women. Um, here, for instance, we're seeing the same thing. Um, so this gig economy, I think, frees women up much, much more, again, within the confines of sort of, the, of the, the, their domestic responsibilities. We still have to talk about those domestic responsibilities, like I said before, but at least um, digital economy allows them access and frees them up much, much more. You see the same thing in e-commerce. I saw the same thing in Conga, where we saw sellers, again, that were disproportionately more successful, that were women, that were operating, um, that were operating stores from their homes, but you know the buyer on an e-commerce site does not know that that store on Conga or Jumia or Instagram is somebody's garage, and so um, they can participate in the digital economy much more readily. And I think they they lurch for it much much more because they don't take the opportunities for granted because they've historically been deprived of these opportunities. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Um, Linda, there are a couple of questions for you, and that is um, once, regarding retaining women in STEM, that's from Jane uh, Edgerton Lidahan. Regarding retaining women in STEM careers, are there any other initiatives beyond ways that you mentioned uh, that N10 has deployed to keep female talent? And also, um, okay, somebody's controlling the screen. Can you please not control it? I'm trying to. And then, um, any, ideas, any ideas for startups or small? small businesses. So let me start again because the screen was being controlled. So Linda is asking um, 
beyond what MTN is doing, the recruitment process, the crash and ways, um, what are, do you have any ideas for startups or small businesses? What, how can they learn? What can they learn from this? How can they also look at um, retaining women in STEM? And also, sorry, second question: um, what, sort of event, what sort of events hold under the Yellow MTN initiative, and how can do they take this? Okay, um, thank you very much um, for those questions. I think um, let me start with um, the other things that MTN um, MTN is doing. We have a comprehensive strategy towards making sure that we have equal representation of women across board, especially um, in leadership position. Um, if you look at what happens across organization, you have a high representation of women at the entry level, and I mean that's still the same story in MTN. And what we are doing is to pay specific attention to all levels and with a view to identifying the talent and you know, paying a lot of attention on the female talent that we have across levels. And then developing uh, um, in, uh, interventions, um, interventions in leadership skills, um, intervention in functional area development for women specifically. Um, at the moment, I, I mean, there's a cohort that we have just started at, you know, at the executive level trying to make sure that um, you know, we have more representation of women at sea level. And I happen to be one of those people, um, I mean, there are seven of us that are women who are in executive position that have been identified for the next level of um, opportunity for growth in our organization. And there is very detailed um, plan um, interventions that you know, have been identified for us. So we conduct um, a, a skill or gap analysis to identify areas for development for women, especially um, at, as, uh, at different levels, just to make sure that at any point in time, we have a pipeline of very capable women who will fill um, the path as soon as they become um, available. Now to the second question, what are the other things that, um, that the activities or initiatives that we have in way? We normally do have um, engagement on a monthly basis um, using Telegram, using um, social media uh, platforms. Um, where we find, identify any of us who have um, um, achieved in certain areas in the organization, engage the rest of the organization. We, you know, we have a pulse check to understand the areas that women are struggling, and we find someone amongst us who has um, excelled in that area, and we have that person come up and engage, um, you know, trying to shed light on how you know, women can manage that, um, that area of their life better. We also do bring in uh, women who have achieved in different um, in different areas to come um, have an engagement with us. You know, like a motivational um, engagement session where we you know bring people who have done well, especially women. We also do bring men in some instances because there are certain skills and capabilities that we women would have to learn from the men. So we bring those people. Um, we bring those um, men and women who have achieved on a quarterly basis to come and engage us. Um, we also do have mentorship. Um, some of us who are, um, you know, quite established in the organization take up the younger ones, especially those ones at the entry level, um, to mentor them and guide them as they navigate um, through um, the organization. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot more um, that we intend to do. It's still a young organization and we're learning organization and we're continuously evolving in this regard. Thank, thank you, Linda. Thank you. That's a lot for um, startups to, to share. Um, this question, I'm going to direct it to you, Adiola, because it, it, it hasn't been directed to anybody. But, you know, speaking, I want to direct it to you because of uh, your project manager and you're currently um, working at Google. And the question says, I appreciate that much of the discussion has been on getting women involved in the core fields of technology and engineering. 
But has the panel any advice or comments on how those who are not directly involved in the, techno in the technological side should equip themselves to participate on the consumer side of the digital economy? Any, any, uh, any advice on that, Adela? How do we participate on the consumer side? On the consumer side is, is one. So you look at, for, for example, if you're an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, how are you leveraging technology to run your businesses? There are a lot of people who right now, because of COVID, their businesses have been altered. They've spent a lot more on their customer service, on um, virtual assistance, and doing things like that. So keeping in touch or knowing what technology can use to help your business. Even with something as simple as digital marketing, there are very um, easy resources that you can find online on leveraging digital marketing. So this is going from the traditional way of letting people know about your business and leveraging social media or social networking to scale and reach your customers. So I think on that end, you can really engage with both you know, people that would uh, would buy into your business and, and a way to even share more information about you know, what kind of services you provide. So there are a lot of opportunities that one can engage um, on the consumer side through technology. Thank you, Adela. Um, th this next question is for, is for Linda, but I think I'd like both Linda and Tim to answer it. It, it says, um, you know, what is M10 doing in conjunction with NCC with regards to education for zero rating, providing material for education without the use of data? Uh, the divide in education is widening even worse because of COVID-19. This may be a way to close the divide. The, the, this may be a way to close the divide and up the STEM penetration. So maybe Linda, you can speak to what M10 is doing for zero rated for education. But Sim, you know, you are running a, an education technology business. How important is this zero rating for what you're doing? And, and how, how have you seen telcos or you know other media companies respond to you as for zero rating? So Linda, you go first. Okay, thank you very much for um, this very important question. Um, as MTN at the, uh, the start of the COVID pandemic, um, the first thing we did was to identify um, the website um, for most schools, for all the schools. I mean, as many as we were able to get our hands across. Um, we had to zero rate access to all the educational institution websites, just to make sure that um, people have easy and quick access um, to get content from those school websites. As we went along, we got some requests from um, the federal government um, giving us some specific website. Apparently, there are some Nigerians who are doing a very good job in you know, aggregating content that is relevant for our schools for both primary and secondary. Um, so we got um, a request from the federal government to zero rate access to those websites. Um, and of course, we did zero rate access. So every child, wherever they may be, um, would have to have access without paying anything to access knowledge and content from those websites. Um, we also do know that, you know, everything that we have to do, I mean, there's so much more we can do. It doesn't start with, it doesn't actually end with uh, zero rating access to this, uh, to this content, to, to, to this content. We took a swipe. I mean, education is a very important um, vertical that we have a lot of focus on. And we took a look at the educational sector and we realized that um, the gap is actually widening. Um, so about from, the statistics we got from Nigerian Bureau of Statistics, um, about 70% of Nigerian students are in public schools. So many of them do not even have access to device. For you to be able to get content and consume content, the first barrier to entry is to get access to device. 
and then you have access to the internet, then you start to consume content. So many of these students do not even have access to these devices. Um, so, I mean, we are not a device organization, but of course we have an ecosystem of partners. And we have started to work around finding ways to you know, develop or to work in conjunction with some partners to, you know, to build a device that is specific to learning, that is specific to education, that will come in at a very um, reduced cost, um, such that we will be able to work with all those people who are aggregating content to you know, aggregate and build um, a, 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 an education-based solution that, you know, that not just gives access to the content, but starts with providing access to the device and then providing you know, um, access to the content, which is where we're coming, and also aggregating those contents such that those children who are currently left behind will be able to get onboarded. I mean, this is still work in progress for us, and we're very much focused on it. And um, I, I hopefully believe that very soon we should um, come out into the market to announce something in this regard. Thanks, Linda. Sim, I'd, I'd like to hear from you on this. This is what you're living and doing over the last year or so. Yeah, so it, it, it represents the biggest challenge for us. So, um, you know, um, just, to, just to give you a bit of data, because I, I, I like using data a lot, um, our part of the world represents, even though our data costs are some of the lowest in the world, as a percentage of income, it's some of the highest in the world. So Africa is, um, our part of the world is still sitting at sort of median, I believe, and percentage of spend of data is about 7%, 8%, of, um, of income goes towards data, data costs. And that's really high. When you compare it to Asia, that's sitting at about 1.5%. Um, and we feel it as you lesson because um, it is the biggest impediment to the spread of the very important work. And, and if you allow me to say this, I really do think the work we're doing is incredibly important. It is the biggest impediment to, um, to the spread of our products and services, which I think are critical, especially in these times. Look, look, we've done some, um, some partnerships, for instance, with multi-choice. So we have, um, as you know, a mobilized certain number of hours available to us, and we've made programs available to the public at no cost, um, covering maths, physics, chemistry, biology, basic science, basic tech, um, um, spanning JSS to SS3, um, Africa Magic Family Channel 154 between 4 and 5 p.m. That we've done gratis. But that is, you know, that we, what we've done is basically only a subset of the functionality that is available through ULESSON. That can only be realized on the smartphone um, and using data. Um, we know that folks like Linda are very busy. Um, we've sought to engage with MTN. I don't want to call MTN out right now, so maybe you can do an intro after this, but we, there is sort of a bit of a market failure here going on where you know the enterprises themselves, folks, folks like us, are actually willing to subsidize data um, we've had some success with one telco, not with everyone, but we want to be able to allow our users to use ULESSON even as an enterprise and to subsidize um, that data cost. So it is a bit of a market failure. I'm hoping that following, you know, meeting um, Linda and she seems like a wonderful person that we can figure out a way to work on solving these market failures um, because it is very, very important work we're doing. And I can tell you right now that data costs are a huge impediment to the society. And we as enterprises, and not just you less, and I'm sure the schools and all kinds of people, you know, the public schools, of course, are zero rated, but there is sort of a gray area between zero rating and then market. 
And enterprises are willing to play a role in that gray area if we can find a way to make it happen. But you're absolutely right. Your instincts are right, um, Omobola. It is the biggest impediment um, to the digital economy. Even though, again, digital costs are cheaper than many parts of the world, some of the cheapest on the continent in Nigeria, but as a percentage of income, it is high. And this is what is, um, what is the biggest impediment. But I am optimistic that over, just as Linda said, device, um, prices of devices are falling. Now you can get an incredibly powerful Android device with two gigabytes of RAM for you know, $20, $30. We couldn't dream of that even two years ago. So the prices of devices are falling. I believe the prices of, um, of data also will drop. But we, we do have an opportunity here and now to bridge um, where enterprises can work with, say, an MTN to bridge this, um, this gap between the consumer and the services that the consumer is demanding. Thanks very much, Tim. And I, and I honestly think this is one area where we really have to get uh, government involved because the whole notion of zero rating, whether you're doing it on DSTV or not, is really how do we do this at scale and get more yes. devices into the hands of more students and also get it to a point where they can actually have access to all, you know, the, 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 the entire spectrum, not just what you can do on, on DSTV because you're, you are a business after all. I have two questions for um, um, Adiola. And you know, one of them, and that question is from Ronke on the deck. Well, thank you very much, Ronke. Uh, this is from Oyukon Sadi Adewale. Um, could you shine some light on the initiatives that exist in Nigeria to go into schools and speak to secondary school girls about STEM and the career opportunities that are available? Adela, I know that this is what AfroTech Girls is doing, and uh, I don't, maybe Oyukon didn't join us um, early enough, but this is what you're doing. But are there other initiatives that you know of that are doing things that AfroTech Girls is also doing? And secondly, um, I have another question here. Uh, what more would Afrotech girls do if funding was not if funding was not an issue? Okay, excellent. So there are other organizations as well. There's WTech, um, who I think they've been around for a longer time. Um, there are a lot more. There's WTech. There is Tech NG. Um, there are a couple of them cost them as well that actually does what they do is they connect women who are actually working in STEM. So this is a bit um, for, I'd say, a bit more senior. So people from tech, from university and people in their early careers looking to network. And I think these, these are also one of the critical challenges because you find that there's some people who even study engineering, but they don't end up working in tech or in science because there's that drop off there's no motivation they don't have like a group of uh, people who share similar interests so i think organizations like that are doing excellent jobs uh, in supporting you know women in tech um in terms of what um, afrotech girls can do if uh, funding was not an issue i mean we could do a whole lot more one i think for us um pre-covid we always used to look for a space where we would host our events i think one thing for us is if we can find a space where you know we can have these sessions free of charge for people to come in set up with the right skills the right um uh, infrastructure um labs for kids to learn you know over the weekend, you know, be able to bring in people to teach them would be excellent. And I think one other thing that is really important is even helping them from 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 their houses. So sending in um, 
home kids, STEM kids, where kids can learn for free at no cost to them because barrier for things for these things can be um, the cost of these items because you'd find that a lot of these kids maybe from the state or from the government schools are not able to afford these extra learning resources. And I think one thing that is also very important is supporting their education as well. So providing scholarships for girls who are particularly interested in STEM to go on and learn more and get themselves, you know, ready to take on these, um, these, these careers in the tech field would also be very, very um, important in supporting girls in STEM. Thank you, Adela. Um, so one of your co-founders has asked a question, which I think, asking to hear Linda's perspective, this is Moretica, on what M10 is doing to promote digital inclusivity for young people. But I think that, you know, you've spoken about it, and like I said, um, uh, I think I'm going to connect you and Linda. You've also given some ideas on how, what you can do if you have more funding. So definitely connect to you and Linda and any other corporate organization that is listening to us uh, now. Uh, so um, I also, I'm, I'm trying to toggle between the chat and the, and the Q&A. And I really just wanted to say a big shout out to Engineer Bella Okeke, who is on, this, uh, is, is on this webinar. She's an engineer and I believe she was head of service. And, you know, she's also put some things around the engineering society. So welcome, Mrs. Okeke, and thank you so much for joining us. You are, you know, women in tech who surely we stand on, and we appreciate your being with us um, this morning. And maybe just to, um, on Yukadewale's question, yes, WTech is, um, is excellent. There are a number of them. What, when, when I was in government, they actually helped us to, together with Amatha, who's company at the right now, they helped us to develop a curriculum, which was a digital girls club, which we took to many public schools, um, in across, across Nigeria, but I think also you've challenged us. We have a big sister program in Winbase where we go to schools, talk to girls about you know, being the best that they can be and careers. And I think we need to play a bigger emphasis on STEM and the career opportunities. And obviously this is another place for us to collaborate with, um, with our protector. So thank, thank you very much. Um, Sim, do you have plans to deliver you, you lessons for primary schools? Oh yes, absolutely. Um, we we're, we're such, in such a privileged position right now. Um, what we've done so far in the first sort of um, four months in our life, and we're just thrilled by the reception of the public. I mean, how many people have taken up the program? But we've only released um, taken up the product. We've only released SS1 to SS3. The next six months are going to see us um, do so much more. Um, the next big release um, or feature of the product we're coming up with in the next few weeks is the JS1 through JS3 package that we're super, super excited about, which will give us full secondary school coverage. The next release that um, I think learners and their families um, should be excited about is in August, we're going to release, release our live product. Right now, what we have is the ability for a child to say they want to learn about quadratic equations or linear equations or photosynthesis or the human reproductive um, system. But we're going to actually put some of these incredible tutors live, um, sort of in the same context where, where, where um, we're doing this panel on right now, and make uh, first class learning experiences available to any corner of this country at a price that I won't mention right now, but it would, would really be disruptive pricing. I'm talking pricing that is a tenth of what is available right now for a product that is 10 times better. After we do that in August, what we'll do going into the early part of this next year is move into primary school. 
Our mission is to provide edu high, high quality educational services available to every segment, to all learning experiences, whether it's primary or secondary or tertiary, or even things like ICANN and legal services and all kinds of things like that. This is ultimately our mission. So how about IT skill lessons to mature women? Because women in IT <laughs> are seriously yeah, I was looking. I was looking at the Q&A. I was looking at the Q&A and somebody asked that. And you know, God bless that person because I, I do think, I think we live in a, in, in a time, uh, not, not to be facetious, it's actually a pretty serious question because we live in a time where learning will not stop. You will have to keep learning deep into your 50s, 60s, and 70s. It is the way the world is going right now. A diploma on the wall is not where it ends anymore. Um, and so, you know, if, if our mission is that encompassing, then we'll try and figure that out someday. But I do want to encourage the person that asked that question, that again, don't be filled with that self-doubt, um, whether it's because of woman or be because you're a woman or because of age. Everybody should continue to strive to be better. Um, the only thing that limits us many times is that self-doubt where you think I shouldn't be doing this. Um, I'm too old to be doing this, or I shouldn't be doing this because of a woman. My mother, God um, rest her soul, she's, she's late now. She got called to the bar. She went to law school and got called to the bar in her 60s, um, wow. which um, is just, you know, should be such a huge, it's a huge inspiration to me. And I think should be to everyone on, on, on this panel. I mean, she stayed in the dorms in the, uh, the law school in Abuja, it was treated like every other student and actually got called to the bar um, in her 60s. So I think it's worthwhile, um, these sorts of asp aspirations and dreams. Thank you. Um, Jella, another question for you. What, what is the right age or level to start getting girls involved in, in STEM? What would, you, what would you say? To be honest, I don't think, I think from, I think from when a kid can read or write, they should be able to like they should be able to get interested for me when i was young like i would realize i would realize that i was very focused on like very tech focused cartoon so just them having that inquisitive mindset from an earlier stage it makes it easier for them in the classroom uh, for them to learn they see like patterns that make sense to them and they're more keen on stem so as early as possible there are a lot of stem toys now that you can buy for kids um, below the age of four, once they get into secondary school, you know, give them more um, resources that they can learn online as well. So I think no age is actually too too young. As long as they can read and write, um, they should be good to go, ideally. Great. Thank you so much. I, I think I'm getting messages. I think our time is actually uh, up. And I, I do apologize to those that have asked questions that haven't been able to, we haven't been able to take them. Uh, I know that we'll keep these questions on the chat and we will be responding. Some of them are suggestions for WinBiz to, um, for, for WinBiz to, uh, to take on as we look at this. There's one final question that came on and I just want to beg the organizers to please let, let me ask that question. And that is a minute to each of the panelists because this is a policymaker uh, interaction series. I know that you're not policymakers. But you know, what is the one thing that you would suggest to the policymakers, if there are any in our midst today, what is the one thing you think they could do to really help us to move the needle around women's participation in, in technology, either as consumers, as innovators, as entrepreneurs, whatever? What is the one thing that you think they could do? Adiola, Young Shadu, I'll start with you. I'd say for me, and, and 
this will go back to like the education sector and it's, it's more investment and more funding in the education sector. You go to the labs of government school and they're not that, uh, they're nowhere well equipped as maybe private school. So spending more time into ensuring that these kids get the same quality of education as private schools, it's a bit hard, but I think it would go a long way. Um, it would really, really help with the quality of education that the kids learn and will help them make decisions better when they want to choose career options. Thank you. Linda, what's the one thing you would ask a policymaker to do? Um, my view is that um, WIMBIS um, has been and um, has continued to do a fantastic job in driving the narrative around diversity and, and around inclusion of women in economic activities. And I must first of all applaud them for that. Um, however, I think that there is, like Diola said, I believe that there is a need to fund women in STEM. I, I believe that WIMBIS as an organization can specifically develop scholarship programs for women in STEM. And they can also create events that allow women engineers and also those women that are not only engineers but are, but are in tech businesses to showcase their um, innovative thinking. And they have also have an opportunity to link women in STEM to opportunities for career advancement, especially um, in areas like NYSC, you know, for placement, it's important, and internship also, to have them placed in specific organization that will, you know, um, engender, you know, the interest that they have. Um, I think that, you know, initiatives in this regard will help advance the conversation and also make a substantial impact um, in this area. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Sim, the one thing. Yeah, so um, I would say, I, I agree with, with Linda and, and Diola, I would say that we need, in a more direct sense, more policymakers that are women. I think when you look at um, um, woman, um, women's participation in our cabinet, well, you can argue that leg legislative arm is kind of an elected um, um, sort of thing. So that's separate, but at least, I mean, I think in the executive arm, we need to see much more uh, women participating in direct policymaking. I think the percentages we're seeing right now as a country, without um, exaggerating and overstating, uh, are, are a bit shameful. And we could do much, much better in that regard. I would just also um, underscore um, what Linda and Diola said. I think capital, Nigeria can afford this. Capital should be made much more available to women, not only at the scholarship level, um, where they're, when, when they're um, uh, um, undergoing sort of education, but also post-education. I think we've already seen what women are capable of when capital is made available to them. Leaders like Linda and um, Funke Opeke and um, Kofo um, Akinkube, but we need much more. And I think Nigeria actually has the capital to channel towards funds, towards um, loans, all kinds of sort of structures and instruments of capital to women um, to spur um, entrepreneurship in that regard. So you said one thing, but I mentioned two, sorry. <laughs> but very important. Thank you so much, panelists. Um, Really appreciate your time. You've given us tremendous insights and a lot of homework for women to do, quite honestly, around policies and things we need to do to create an awareness and, and, uh, of women in tech, uh, women in STEM, and also uh, role models as well. So thank you very much, panelists, and thank you to the audience. Your questions have been very insightful, very challenging. I think there's a lot of work for women to do, both in the area of policy, as Sima said, getting more women into the policy-making areas, but also in the area of awareness and getting more girls into STEM and going into secondary schools, catching them early and getting more female tech entrepreneurs. So thank you all so much. And at this point, I'm going to hand over to, uh, I think it's it Ngoba to get the vote of thanks. Thank you. Obisi, thank you.
Thank you very much, Dr. Johnson. Um, certainly the conversation, conversation will continue as a communique will be issued um, from today's session that will clearly articulate a call to action on accelerating the participation of women in the digital economy. Our speakers have confirmed, as we have always known, that there is a compelling business case for bringing more women on board the tech train and WIMBY shall continue to act at the forefront of this advocacy. One of the toughest decisions that the planning committee had to take at the very beginning was whether or not to postpone this event in response to COVID-19. We decided to proceed and using technology, we have reached many more CEOs, C-level executives and policymakers than we would have reached via a physical event. I thank our speakers, Linda, Sim, and Nadiola. I thank Dr. Johnson in particular for her wise counsel, her support, and her expert handling of the panel discussion. I thank our sponsors for their generosity and their support, African Finance Corporation, Business Day, MTN, and Merciport Energy. I thank all committee members and members of the Executive Council of Wimbys for their support and hard work. I also give kudos and many thanks to the Wimby Secretariat for the tenacity and diligence that went into putting this together. And of course, I thank you, our participants, for joining us today. And as we look forward to seeing you again soon, I say God bless. Thank you. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.